tonight we are going to talk about like pain and suffering and not just like like first world problem like suffering like the cafe ran out of handmade gluten-free pop tarts so you had to have like avocado toast instead like like I want like we're going to talk a little bit about like real and maybe being gluten-free maybe that is real suffering right anyway I know there's some gluten-free people like uh, we, I want to like I don't want to make light of this too much and like there are things that I might touch on tonight that I don't really want to be like triggering, but some of these things you have maybe experienced and dealt with because like in a very real sense, just like life is not always like fun. Some of us in our 20 something years of life have experienced some real tragedy. And here at Ecclesia, we want to be a church, a body of Christ that comes alongside of people who are hurting and who have been hurt and just meet you with love and care and, and generosity um, and just authenticity. So I wanna recognize that tonight before we start, but we're gonna talk about suffering. For some of you guys, you have lost family members, you know, grandparents died or, or maybe a friend or, or, or a cousin or something like that. For some of us, we have dealt with parents who have gotten divorced and just like real, like real things that like just, just suck. Like, I'm just going to say like, they're not fun to deal with. They're not things that we would wish on anybody else, right? We've seen devastation. We've seen addiction. We've seen maybe abuse in our lives. And like those sorts of things are horrific, but we've got firsthand experience with the devastation. And for some of you guys, as I'm talking about this right now, maybe those kind of hit close to home and your heart is just like broken all over again for the things that you've experienced or the things that you've seen because, because that hurt and that pain and it's been close to you. And for some of us, suffering is just not really something on, on that level that we've experienced. And if I was to pull you guys around the room, some of you would have some of those firsthand experiences with suffering in your own lives and your own families and your own friend groups. And for some of us, if I asked you what suffering looks like, you would say homelessness or poverty or, or living in, in a war zone, in a war-torn country with like the things that are happening in Israel and Palestine and Ukraine and all that. Like some of us, when you think about suffering, you think about it on this big macro level, right? That is, that's hurt, that's devastation. We've got these different experiences that kind of play into the way that we talk about pain. And like, we've all like felt like some physical pain. And that's not really what this, this series is, is about. I mean, Brad and Brad's teaching next week and Zach, they might touch some on physical pain, but I think we're really talking about like, like, like the emotional pain, like the things that, like, that sting and that don't just go away. Guys, suffering is something that happens to every single one of us on some level and, and, and to some degree. And the older you get, the more stories of pain that you have. And I don't wanna take time to just like talk about every single issue and be like, oh, this is suffering and this is suffering and this is painful and this hurts and that hurts. We're not gonna do that because we all know what those things are, but our experiences are different. But I think one thing that we often kind of start to miss out on, or maybe a question that you've asked is like, how is suffering consistent? How does that work with a good God? 
right? Those, those two things seem inconsistent on a basic level, right? God, all powerful, perfectly good, holy in every single way. And yet people suffer day in and day out around the globe. Maybe you've experienced those sufferings. And, and for a lot of us, I know in my own life, the question is, why, God? Like, why am I dealing with this right now? Why do I have to wake up and deal with this and experience this again tomorrow? I was talking with, with some of you guys earlier. I'm from Louisiana, um, the land of cultural Christianity, where everybody kind of goes to church sometimes, most of the time. I know a lot of people who, who like we grew up, like you would talk about church. We had like three or four youth pastors on campus in my high school every single day. The largest club in school by far was FCA, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. You didn't need to be an athlete. You just needed to kind of be a Christian to join. And I'm convinced that most people joined because we had this big crawfish boil at the end of the year and you had to be a member of the club to, to join, the, like to, to go to the crawfish boil. But that was the biggest club on campus. There were youth, like churches like everywhere, youth groups that were awesome. Like you would have that one youth group that like served pizza every single week. You guys don't know anything about that, would you? We had the one youth group where like they had the really cool worship band. We had another youth group where like they did all the really cool events and we could like hop from like from church to church to church, youth group to youth group to youth group. And there was so many opportunities for you to meet Jesus where I grew up. And based on what I see now that I'm in my 30s and I see my friends that I graduated from high school with and I see their lives, I see the things they post on Facebook and Instagram and stuff, a lot of them did not meet Jesus. They went to church, they went to youth group, but, but somehow in the mix of all of those things, like they came out on the other side, not really knowing who God is. And when they've experienced pain, when they've experienced like, like so many of my friends from high school, a lot of them have been, I, guys, to back up a little bit, some of you guys know this, I made a lot of really, really dumb decisions, like criminal decisions in high school. And most of my friends now at this point have been to jail or are still in jail or prison. Almost every one of my friends, kids outside of wedlock, multiple divorces, like nobody wants to be 32 and divorce three times, like some of the people that I was friends with. And like, I look at those situations and I was like, oh my gosh, God, that could have been my life, but, but I met you and, and you changed my life and you worked in my life. Not saying you excuse me from all the pain, but I see all these things and I see the things that people post. And now like, I think we, a lot of us can look and go, God, why would you allow that to happen? Why do these, these bad things happen to, to more or less like good people? And we're not gonna get into the debate of like, well, no one's good but God alone. And like, yeah, I know what the Bible says, right? We're good. But why, why does suffering happen? And have you ever asked that question? Like, God, why is this happening to me? Or why is this happening to them? Right, you see an injustice, you see this pain on, on somebody else's behalf and you're like, God, why would that happen? Guys, there's two main verses that kind of stick out when I think about suffering. Some that I've taught on um, in the past, but they're like kind of these major verses when we talk about suffering. James chapter one, verse two, and Romans chapter five, verses three through five, if you've got a Bible. 
James chapter one, verse two. It's this really, really famous verse. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then Romans chapter five, three through five. This is, this is like the quintessential, quintessential passage on suffering. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There we go, that's it. Both of these talk about joy and suffering. That must be the answer. God makes us suffer so that we can be happy. Obviously. How many times I've, like, I've heard that? I've, I, I preached that. Some of you guys were like my youth kids at one point. And you're like, yeah, Ryan, I remember you preaching on that. You probably don't, but like, let me have this one. Um, like I've taught that like, oh yeah. Like when we experience suffering and pain and trial and all these different things, we should be like, thanks God. And he gives us like a big pat on the back and he's like, at a boy, at a girl, keep going. But I think just looking at these verses and kind of reading them for face value, we miss so much of the story and the experience of the writers of these passages. We've got to dig a little deeper. Paul, at this point when he writes to the Romans, in multiple letters, talks about his persecution and his suffering. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, talks about how Paul was not only kicked out of cities, but they would throw rocks at him and beat him until he left the cities. He was shipwrecked, right? He, this emotional suffering. He's in prison, like all of these different things that like we would say like, yes, absolutely. That is a trial. That is suffering. That's physical pain. That's emotional pain. That's all of those different things. Paul talks about how he's persecuted for following Jesus. He also talks about um, earlier before becoming a Jesus follower, how he's responsible for the death of multiple people who are Jesus followers. He would literally look for people who were following Jesus and, and like he would either condemn, condemn them to death or he'd put them in prison or whatever it was because they were breaking the law. And then on the other side of that, he's got all of this kind of like blood on his hands. And I don't know if like, if you've ever been responsible for somebody getting something that you feel like they don't deserve or you disagree with them and you kind of have to eat your words again after the fact and you're like, oops. And I can only imagine that like Paul, Paul doesn't like wake up every morning. There's this guy, Stephen, that like he made sure Stephen was like, was stoned. They threw rocks at him until they killed him and they brought Paul his clothes saying like, Paul, you were responsible for this man's death. And at the time he was like, yep, I did my job. And then after the fact, like, I can't imagine that he would wake up and go, man, that was good. Way to go, Paul. James, the brother of Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, James didn't really believe that Jesus was who he says he was. Think about that for a second. Your brother, the perfect kid, Right? How many of you guys have a sibling that like is already like the most annoying person on the face of the earth because they like are like the golden child in your household? Now imagine that that golden child is the son of the Almighty God. And James doesn't believe in his divinity. 
And your whole life, your mom and your dad are like, oh, the son of God, my boy. And you're like, mom, I hate him. <laughs> no, like, 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 not only are you compared to some like, oh, can't you just be more like your brother? They get better grades than you, right? Like they've got more friends that are, I like what they like. It's not like that. It's like, they can do no wrong. And here's James going, you guys are, you guys are morons. And it's not until Jesus is actually dead and resurrected and ascended into heaven that James becomes a Jesus follower. And when he writes the book of James, it's actually one of the early, it's kind of later in the New Testament, but it's written relatively early as far as the New Testament writings go. And he's a pastor and he's writing this to Jewish Christians, to these people who are, are Jewish living in and around Judea, uh, Judah and, and Jerusalem and, and all of that. And they are do, like their, their belief in Jesus is illegal. And they are being persecuted for their faith the way that Paul persecuted others for their faith. So when James says, count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, that continuity, it doesn't go away. This, he says, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Guys, both of these writers are talking about suffering as a means of growth. And not that we should wish for suffering. I think we, we, we can see that, but I don't think that's what they're talking about. It's Paul and James are not saying, you should like, hey, God, every morning, like just cause me to suffer. Make me hurt. I think that's a bit ridiculous, right? Like we're not gonna do that. You could be like, yeah, I am, Ryan. Like, no, you're not. I don't believe you. I think what we really see is both of these guys have this framework of God being present in the midst of my suffering. And that's really what's carrying me through. James and Paul do not talk about like address suffering and go, God, this doesn't hurt, right? We don't see that in either of these passages. I don't see that one time in the Old Testament or the New Testament that somebody deals with pain and suffering and they are told to say, this doesn't hurt. I'm just gonna power through, put a smile on, fake it till I make it. That is not what we are taught at all. Throughout scripture, we see that people endure suffering. You don't endure your like, the best movie ever. You don't endure your fifth birthday party, right? You endure Thanksgiving with your family. You endure the hard things in life. You endure the test that you did not study for, that you did not prepare for, and you go into, you're like, I shouldn't even be here, right? Even on a, on a deeper scale, you endure watching someone hurt. You don't find joy watching someone hurt. You don't find joy watching someone suffer. And here we see two men who know what suffering really is, who have experienced it firsthand. And they write about that experience saying, consider it joy. Suffering produces character. Character um, produces steadfastness and steadfastness, hope. Like we see these guys who from their own experience talk about suffering and recognize that they have not gotten through it on their own. 
But that still doesn't answer the question of why does God allow suffering? And does that challenge the idea of God's goodness? And maybe you've never thought about that. Like maybe, maybe that thought hasn't come across your mind. And for some of us, like, like, like it does. Like even still now, like I've been a Jesus follower for 15, 16 years now. I, um, I've been a pastor for, for years. And sometimes I look at things that are happening in the world. I'm just like, God, what are you doing in that? And as we, we hear about all these things and they get more politicized as we go, right? Like nobody's looking at what's happening in Israel and Palestine and not attaching it to politics. The same thing in Ukraine, the same thing when we see homelessness or extreme poverty and all of these different things. It's like, God, why aren't you just like doing something? Why don't you act? Why don't you move, God? We just finished going a couple weeks ago through the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And I think that gives a perspective to that question more so than maybe any other book in the Bible. If you weren't there to give a quick little recap, it says that, that everybody it does what is right in their own eyes. There is no king. And this is kind of in the midst of God's people, the Israelites going, God, we want a king. We want a king. We, we need a human ruler to set these rules for us. And there's not that person in place. So what everybody does is whatever they want. They just do whatever they want. And I don't know if you guys have ever realized this, but when you allow somebody to do whatever they want, do they typically do what's good for everybody? No, absolutely not. That autonomy going unchecked, you do, you do what is right for you. In the book of Judges, that's exactly what happens. So God kind of has them in this spiral. He's just going to allow these other nations who are coming in and fighting with them. They, they get a little ground and the, the Israelites are like, oh no, God save us. So he raises up this judge, this leader to come in and fight off the bad guys, right? And everybody's like, yay, God saved us through this person. And then like a few years pass and they kind of forget about it because like if you're not actively in the middle of the trial, it's really easy to kind of like forget about the trial, and the whole thing happens over and over again. But the, the more it happens, the further and further away from God these people get to the point where the decisions that they are making not only don't reflect God, but are outright evil and sickening. People killing their own children and, and selling their, their wives into prostitution, like all these different things. And you're like, yeah, that's not cool. That's not good. God, why are you allowing these sorts of things to happen? Right here in our modern world, like we look out and we see like, man, this is horrific. God, what are you doing? Guys, I think what we often forget is what the reason that we are here is not to be happy. It's not to feel good about ourselves. It is to worship and glorify a holy and perfect God. That's why human beings were created. And when you look out in this room and outside of this room, like, is that how we spend the vast majority of our time? No. Like our first thought when we wake up as, as, a, a, as humans is not like, I can't wait to glorify and worship God today. That's just not what happens of the, what, 7.8 billion people in the world. Like that's not, that's not our first thought. And that's a direct result 
of sin entering into the world. But guys, God doesn't just excuse that sin. God acts in the middle of that sin. When Adam and Eve sin, he kicks them out of the garden. There's a curse put on both of them for Eve. It's childbirth for Adam. It's, it's working with his hands and struggling. Cain kills Abel, right? So what does he do? He, he banishes Cain. It says he begins wandering for years and years and years. Right, we, we, we know about Noah, he's building the boat and because humanity's iniquity, it's, it's, it's horrific in God's sight. He floods the earth and he gets rid of them. Sodom and Gomorrah, we see all these different times in scripture where God interacts and intervenes. And as I'm talking about that, some of you are thinking about, well, Ryan, all of those are in the Old Testament. There's examples of God intervening in the New Testament as well. But here's the biggest thing God does in the New Testament. He offers Jesus. Guys, Jesus is not here to make us happy or even to make us good. Jesus came to offer us redemption, to make us holy. He takes this warped sense of, I'm gonna worship myself, and he points it back to the one who deserves our real worship. And when left unchecked, my desires will take me to a place where like I'm number one. Philippians chapter two, verses three through seven says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. When Paul writes this, he gives this, this challenge to us, right? Not, not this challenge to us as, as just Jesus followers, but, but like to, to everyone, guys, live with humility. You are not the most important person in the room. Instead, he says the opposite. Count others more significant than yourselves. And I know that when I, I find myself in that place, like I get mad about like injustice. When I see something happening to someone else that's bad, like I get so angry about that. My wife and I, we watch a lot of um, like cop TV shows, like Law and Order SVU. And um, there's some pretty gnarly stuff that happens in that show, just so you know. Um, and I get mad. We'll be like sitting, watching TV, like eating dinner, and I'm like mad. Like I wanna fight this person on TV. Like I'm so angry because I see this injustice happening. Why are you guys laughing at me? That's not funny. Okay, it's a little funny. No, I, I, I see this injustice and it's like, it, it's so, it's grotesque. It's disgusting to me because when I see like bad things, horrible things happening to other people. Like I wanna fix it. I wanna solve the problem. And these are like, they're on TV, right? And yet we look out into our world and the, the, just the landscape of, of whatever's happening and we see some of the same things. We know they're happening. And some of us, we like, we're like, we've got that like, not, I don't wanna say activist, but like we wanna do something about it. We wanna stand up. We wanna stand up for other people. We wanna interact and intervene. We wanna create solutions and, and see things change. And for some of us, we're like, I, there's nothing I can do. 
And that, that causes a, a lack of, of action. And, and this is not like me trying to get you riled up and guys, guys let's like storm the Capitol and do any, like that's not, that's not it. Guys, when we see suffering, it's a result of sin and people keep sinning. So there will always be suffering. What is God doing in the midst of that? How is God using it? Why is he allowing it? If we look back at, at Romans 5, 5, and it says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God presented himself to us so that we might have hope. And hope is like a really hard thing to quantify, Right? If I'm like, do you have hope? And you're like, yeah, I've got like 60% hope this week. Like maybe it'll go up next week. Like, doesn't make any sense. Because I'm gonna get a little raw with you guys. Um, I don't need that. Um, when I was in college, I think it was 22, um, we found out that, that my dad had been having an affair. Um, and he, he came out and he told my mom one night and she was like, hey, your dad needs to talk to you. And she's like really teary-eyed. And I think she's gonna give like bad like medical stuff. And, and it wasn't that at all. But my, my dad's like sitting on, on his bed and, and he just kind of like lays it all out in front of me. And it was, it was devastating for our entire family. He, he told my younger brothers and, and, and all of this. And like our house became the most tense place you could be. Maybe you guys have experienced something similar. Like I didn't want to be home. Like I did whatever I could to not be there, especially if my dad was there. Not because like I hated him or, or anything like that, but like it was so heavy just being at our house. And, and, and kind of what, what we ended up finding out is my dad had all this hurt and pain from his childhood through a, abuse and addiction in his family and, and all these different things that kind of bottled up to this point where, where he made decisions that impacted us in, in terrible ways. And he was ready to go. He was ready to, to divorce my mom, to leave whatever it was gonna cost him. Like he, he just wanted out. He felt like he was like trapped in the middle of this, which, which in and of itself is a different kind of suffering. And I remember just praying daily, every single day for my dad. God, just, just do something in his heart. Just show him, show him what's really going on. Like, that, like God, work in his life in a miraculous way. That was my prayer. But also praying for my mom because I know how much that hurt me, Right? I can't even begin to fully understand how much that hurt his wife, his bride, right? And what ended up kind of happening is, is my mom shared, shared the situation with a few people that she really trusted. But like she, she couldn't talk to, to her family about it because it would just vilify my dad. Like she was trying to hold their marriage together. She didn't want to vilify him and then try and like, surround like oh yeah like let's just all go be a big happy family like that's not gonna work she's she's got she's got friends but but they've all got their own stuff going on and and it's really hard to find somebody who can just like drop everything so I ended up in this really awkward kind of weird situation where where me and my mom talked a lot about this not me saying mom how do I process this she said Ryan what do I do 
and being 22 years old when your parents are, are in their 50s and going through this and you have like, mom, I didn't even get to vote in the last election. Like, how do I give you advice in, in this sort of situation? And all I felt like I could do is just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. Because, because there's nothing I could do. There's nothing I was gonna say to my dad to convince him that he's like, oh yeah, you're right. Sorry, I've just been making a mistake. Like I wasn't gonna be able to do that. I knew that the only way that I was gonna get through this, that, that my parents' marriage, if it was gonna survive, the only way any of this was gonna work was on a foundation of God being present in the middle of the suffering. And I remember talking to my mom one day and, and just like praying with her. And she goes, how can you have so much hope that this is gonna work out? And that verse came to my mind. Hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not disappoint us is what the NIV says. Because God has given us himself through his Holy Spirit. I said, mom, I, I can't guarantee, I can't promise that this is gonna work out the way that we want it to, but, but I know that God is present and working in the midst of this suffering and your suffering and mine and dad's and all of these different things. And, and after, after a few months of my house just being like hell, just like so uncomfortable, my dad finally agreed to go to therapy. I remember he came back from his first counseling appointment and, well, how was it, dad? And he goes, the guy's got a cool goatee and a ponytail and wears Hawaiian shirts. And I was like, well, that's great. But are you done being an idiot? Like, come on, man. Like, we're, we're suffering over here and you're like stoked about this guy's ponytail? Like, what? But he kept going and going and going and, and uncovering these things. And slowly but surely, the temperature in our house began to shift and change. And, and it, this was not like Christian counseling. This was not a pastor or anything like that. This was just some random dude with a ponytail and a Hawaiian shirt with a psychology degree. My dad came home one night and he sat down next to me and he just goes, hey, I need to apologize. And he goes, I dragged you and your brothers into this. And this isn't about you guys at all. And honestly, it's not even about your mom. It's all about me and stuff that I haven't dealt with. And I'm like, yeah, you think? Like here I am sitting in the midst of this really, really painful situation because of the decisions of somebody else, because of the sin of someone else. And eventually he kind of finishes counseling and, and guys, I, like my dad has changed. Like he's not the same person. Like he, like we never really went to church growing up. It was kind of that cultural Christianity thing. At this point, my dad sends me more devotionals than I send him. He prays for me every single day. Like he, and he's far from perfect, right? But he has completely shifted from this person who has just bottled up so much pain and hurt to like a guy that is pursuing God for the first time in his late 50s and 60 years old. My parents' marriage survived, like it's the better than it's ever been. And I'm not just like, this is a like beautiful love story. We should make a movie out of it because like that's only on the Hallmark channel. And like, I don't think anybody really wants to see this, this movie because it hurts, guys. 
Guys, suffering is not meaningless. It's not just like, oh, that, that hurt. We, we just keep going, guys. God is moving in the midst of it and he has to be our foundation. And as we talk about suffering in this series, I just wanna leave you guys with, with one challenge. If you, first of all, if you are feeling pain or anything like that, don't just like bottle that up. Get involved in discipleship and, and like, like do, do that side of life with other people. Don't just hide it, like be, be raw, be real. But also like those of you who are sitting in the room, I'm assuming you're already a Jesus follower, but maybe your roommate's not or the people that you work with or anything like that, like as Jesus followers, we get to share in the same way that Paul is sharing with the Romans in the same way that, that James is sharing with these Jewish Christians, like God is real and God is present in the midst of our suffering, even when we don't see it. And God is, 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 is waiting for us to, to, to share that with him, Right? So here's my, like, my challenge is like, don't like look at, at suffering and just go, well, there's not, there's not much that I can do, whether it's your own or otherwise, because you are not alone in the middle of that. You, you, you were bought with a price. You were a child of the King. You have a new name and a new identity in Christ Jesus. If you are a Jesus follower, if, if that's what you build your life on that foundation. So guys, I'm, I'm asking you like, to, to live in that, to thrive in that, and then to share that, to, to invite people here to come and make this a place where people feel known and seen and understood and, and, and can be raw and real and vulnerable because if you're just showing up and like, it's just like this pleasant thing and there's music and there's teaching and there's pizza and you leave, then, like, then we're missing out on what God has for us here in this community of Jesus followers. Guys, when we feel pain, when we feel hurt, when we suffer or when we see suffering, just as James says, God is going to work in that to bring us to completion so that we are not lacking in anything. That doesn't mean we have to look forward to suffering. It doesn't mean we have to just like smile and grit our teeth through it. But when you ask why God, don't just believe that you're asking this like arbitrary question, like why God, why would you do this to me? But instead say, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? And he might not reveal that immediately. And when he does show you what it is, you might not like that either. But we serve a big God and a holy God and a God who not only understands suffering, but as they'll talk about as we get kind of further into this series, a God who has experienced suffering so that he would, would understand the human condition so that when we go to him, there's not this barrier, there's not this gap, but we are loved and seen and known and heard and understood by a holy and precious God. Will you guys pray with me as we go back into worship?